0: Section 21. The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Sinner. Written by himself, by James Hogg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This was, to me, wholly incomprehensible. I could have freely made oath to the contrary of every particular. Yet the evidences were against me, and of a nature not to be denied. Here I must confess that, highly, as I disapproved of the love of women, and all intimacies and connections with the sex. I felt a sort of indefinite pleasure an ungracious delight in having a beautiful woman solely at my disposal. But I thought of her spiritual good in the meantime. My friend spoke of my backslidings with concern, requesting me to make sure of my forgiveness and to forsake them, and then he added some words of sweet comfort. But from this time forth, I began to be sick at times of my existence. I had heart-burnings, longings, and yearnings that would not be satisfied, and I seemed hardly to be an accountable creature, being thus in the habit of executing transactions of the utmost moment without being sensible that I did them. I was a being incomprehensible to myself. Either I had a second self, who transacted business in my likeness, or else my body was at times possessed by a spirit over which it had no control, and of whose actions my own soul was wholly unconscious. This was an anomaly not to be accounted for by any philosophy of mine, and I was many times, in contemplating it, excited to terrors, and mental torments hardly describable. To be in a state of consciousness and unconsciousness at the same time, in the same body and same spirit, was impossible. I was under the greatest anxiety. Dreading some change would take place momently in my nature. For of dates I could make nothing. One half or two thirds of my time seemed to me totally lost. I often, about this time, prayed with great fervour and lamented my hopeless condition, especially in being liable to the commission of crimes which I was not sensible of and could not eschew. And I confess, notwithstanding the promises on which i had been taught to rely i began to have secret terrors that the great enemy of man's salvation was exercising powers over me that might eventually lead to my ruin these were but temporary and sinful fears but they added greatly to my unhappiness The worst thing of all was what hitherto I had never felt, and as yet durst not confess to myself, that the presence of my illustrious and devoted friend was becoming irksome to me. When I was by myself, I breathed freer, and my step was lighter. But when he approached, a pang went to my heart, and in his company, I moved and acted as if under a load that I could hardly endure. What a state to be in! And yet, to shake him off was impossible. We were incorporated together, identified with one another, as it were, and the power was not in me to separate myself from him. I still knew nothing who he was, further than That he was a potentate of some foreign land, bent on establishing some pure and genuine doctrines of Christianity, hitherto only half understood, and less than half exercised. Of this I could have no doubts after all that he had said, done, and suffered in the cause. But alongst with this, I was also certain that he was possessed of some supernatural power, of the source of which I was wholly ignorant. That a man could be a Christian and at the same time a powerful necromancer appeared inconsistent and averse to every principle taught in our church, and from this I was led to believe that he inherited his powers from on high for I could not doubt either of the soundness of his principles or that he accomplished things impossible to account for. Thus was I sojourning in the midst of a chaos of confusion. I looked back on my by-passed life with pain, as one looks back on a perilous journey in which he has attained his end, without gaining any advantage either to himself or others. And I looked forward, as on a darksome waste, full of repulsive and terrific shapes, pitfalls and precipices, to which there was no definite bourne, and from which I turned with disgust. With my riches, my unhappiness was increased tenfold, and here, with another great acquisition of property, for which I had plead, and which I had gained in a dream, my miseries and difficulties were increasing. My principal feeling about this time was an insatiable longing for something that I cannot describe or denominate properly, unless I say it was for utter oblivion that I longed. I desired to sleep but it was for a deeper and longer sleep than in which the senses were nightly steeped. I longed to be at rest and quiet, and close my eyes on the past and the future alike, as far as this frail life was concerned. But what had been formally and finally settled in the councils above, I presumed not to call in question in this state of irritation and misery was i dragging on in existence disgusted with all around me and in particular with my mother who with all her love and anxiety had such an insufferable mode of manifesting them that she had by this time rendered herself exceedingly obnoxious to me the very sound of her voice at a distance went to my heart like an arrow and made all my nerves to shrink and as for the beautiful young lady for whom they told me i had been so much enamored i shunned all intercourse with her or hers as i would have done with the devil i read some of their letters and burnt them but refused to see either the young lady or her mother on any account About this time, it was that my worthy and reverend parent came with one of his elders to see my mother and myself. His presence always brought joy with it into our family, for my mother was uplifted, and I had so few who cared for me, or for whom I cared, that I felt rather gratified at seeing him my illustrious friend was also much more attached to him than any other person except myself for their religious principles tallied in every point and their conversation was interesting serious and sublime being anxious to entertain well and highly the man to whom i had been so much indebted and knowing that with all his integrity and righteousness he disdained not the good things of this life i brought from the late laird's well-stored cellars various fragrant and salubrious wines and we drank and became merry and i found that my miseries and overpowering calamities passed away over my head like a shower that is driven by the wind I became elevated and happy, and welcomed my guest an hundred times. And then I joined them in religious conversation, with a zeal and enthusiasm which I had not often experienced, and which made all their hearts rejoice. So that I said to myself, Surely every gift of God is a blessing and ought to be used with liberality and thankfulness. The next day I waked from a profound and feverish sleep and called for something to drink. There was a servant answered whom I had never seen before, and he was clad in my servant's clothes and livery. I asked for Andrew Handyside, the servant who had waited at table the night before, but the man answered with a stare and a smile. "'What do you mean, sirrah?' said I. "'Pray, what do you hear? "'Or what are you pleased to laugh at? "'I desire you to go about your business "'and send me up Handyside. "'I want him to bring me something to drink.' "'You said want a drink, Maister?" said the fellow. "'Take a hearty Annie "'and see if it will waken ye up something.' Say that you didn't care for gaze through your sleep. Surely you hadn't forgotten that Andrew Handyside has been in his grave these six months. This was a stunning blow to me. I could not answer further, but sunk back on my pillow, as if I had been a lump of lead, refusing to take a drink or anything else at the fellow's hand, who seemed thus mocking me with so grave a face. The man seemed sorry, and grieved at my being offended, but I ordered him away, and continued sullen and thoughtful. Could I have again been for a season in utter oblivion to myself, and transacting business, which I neither approved of, nor had any connection with? I tried to recollect something in which I might have been engaged, but nothing was portrayed on my mind subsequent to the parting with my friends at a late hour the evening before. The evening before it certainly was, but if so, how came it that Andrew Handyside, who served at table that evening, should have been in his grave six months? This was a circumstance. Somewhat equivocal. Therefore, being afraid to arise lest accusations of I know not what might come against me, I was obliged to call once more in order to come at what intelligence I could. The same fellow appeared to receive my orders as before, and I set about examining him with regard to particulars. He told me his name was Scrape that I hired him myself, of whom I hired him, and at whose recommendation. I smiled and nodded so as to let the knave see I understood he was telling me a chain of falsehoods, but did not choose to begin with any violent asseverations to the contrary. And where is my noble friend and companion, said I? How has he been engaged in the interim? i dinna ken him sir said scrape but i've heard it said that the strange mysterious person that attended you him that the maced part of folks counted uncanny had gone away with mr ringan o Glasgow last year and had never returned i thank the lord in my heart for this intelligence hoping that the illustrious stranger had returned to his own land and people and that I should thenceforth be rid of his controlling and appalling presence and where is my mother said i the man's breath cut short and he looked at me without returning any answer i ask you where my mother is said i god only knows and not i where she is returned he he knows where her soul is and as for her body "'If ye dinna ken something o' it, I suppose nay man alive does.' "'What do you mean, you knave?' said I. "'What dark hints are these you are throwing out? "'Tell me precisely and distinctly what you know of my mother.' "'It is queer ye to forget, or pretend to forget everything that gate the day, sir,' said he. "'I'm sure you heard enough about it yestereen.' and I can tell you there are some gay and ill-fraud stories gone about that business. But, as the thing is to be tried afore the circuit lords, it wad be far rang to say either this or that to influence the public mind. It is best just to let justice take its swee. I hae naething to say, sir. Ye hae been a good enough maester to me, and paid my wages regularly. But ye hay muckle need to be innocent, for there are some heavy accusations rising against you. I fear no accusations of man, said I, as long as I can justify my cause in the sight of heaven, and that I can do this I am well aware. Go you, and bring me some wine and water. And some other clothes than these gaudy and glaring ones. I took a cup of wine and water, put on my black clothes, and walked out. For all the perplexity that surrounded me, I felt my spirits considerably buoyant. It appeared that I was rid of the two greatest bars to my happiness. By what agency I knew not. My mother it seemed was gone, who had become a grievous thorn in my side of late. And my great companion and counselor, who tyrannized over every spontaneous movement of my heart, had likewise taken himself off. This last was an unspeakable relief, for I found that for a long season I had only been able to act by the motions of his mysterious mind and spirit. I therefore thanked God for my deliverance and strode through my woods with a daring and heroic step, with independence in my eye and freedom swinging in my right hand. At the extremity of the Colwain wood, I perceived a figure approaching me with slow and dignified motion. The moment that I beheld it, my whole frame received a shock, as if the ground on which I walked had sunk suddenly below me. Yet, at that moment, I knew not who it was. It was the air in motion of someone that I dreaded, and from whom I would gladly have escaped. But this I even had not power to attempt. It came slowly onward, and I advanced as slowly to meet it. Yet, when we came within speech, I still knew not who it was. It bore the figure, air, and features of my late brother, I thought exactly. Yet, in all these, there were traits so forbidding, so mixed with an appearance of misery, chagrin, and despair that I still shrunk from the view, not knowing in whose face I looked. But when the being spoke, both my mental and bodily frame received another shock more terrible than the first, for it was the voice of the great personage I had so long denominated my friend, of whom I had deemed myself forever freed and whose presence and counsels I now dreaded more than hell. It was his voice, but so altered I shall never forget it till my dying day. Nay, I can scarce conceive it possible that any earthly sounds could be so discordant, so repulsive to every feeling of a human soul as the tones of the voice that grated on my ear at that moment. They were the sounds of the pit, wheezed through a grated cranny, or seemed so to my distempered imagination. So, thou shudderest at my approach now, thee? said he. Is this all the gratitude that you deign for an attachment? Of which the annals of the world furnish no parallel? An attachment which has caused me to forego power and dominion, might, homage, conquest, and adulation? All that I might gain one highly valued and sanctified spirit to my great and true principles of reformation among mankind. Wherein have I offended? What have I done for evil? OR WHAT HAVE I NOT DONE FOR YOUR GOOD THAT YOU WOULD THUS SHUN MY PRESENCE? GREAT AND MAGNIFICENT PRINCE, SAID I HUMBLY, LET ME REQUEST OF YOU TO ABANDON A POOR WORTHLESS WIT TO HIS OWN WAYWARD FORTUNE AND RETURN TO THE DOMINION OF YOUR PEOPLE. I AM UNWORTHY OF THE SACRIFICES YOU HAVE MADE FOR MY SAKE, AND AFTER ALL YOUR EFFORTS, I do not feel that you have rendered either more virtuous or more happy. For the sake of that which is estimable in human nature, depart from me to your own home, before you render me a being either altogether above or below the rest of my fellow creatures. Let me plod on towards heaven and happiness in my own way, like those that have gone before me, and i promise to stick fast by the great principles which you have so strenuously inculcated, on condition that you depart and leave me forever sooner shall you make the mother abandon the child of her bosom nay sooner cause the shadow to relinquish the substance than separate me from your side our beings are amalgamated as it were and consociated in one. And never shall I depart from this country until I can carry you in triumph with me. I can in no wise describe the effect this appalling speech had on me. It was like the announcement of death to one who had of late deemed himself free, if not of something worse than death, and of longer continuance. There was I doomed to remain in misery, subjugated soul and body, to one whose presence was become more intolerable to me than aught on earth could compensate. And at that moment, when he beheld the anguish of my soul, he could not conceal that he enjoyed it. I was troubled for an answer, for which he was waiting. It became incumbent on me to say something after such a protestation of attachment, and in some degree to shake the validity of it. I asked, with great simplicity, where he had been all this while. Your crimes and your extravagances forced me from your side for a season, said he. But now that I hope the day of grace is returned, I am again drawn towards you by an affection that has neither bounds nor interest, an affection for which I receive not even the poor return of gratitude, and which seems to have its radical sources in fascination. I have been far, far abroad, and have seen much, and transacted much. Since I last spoke with you. During that space, I grievously suspect that you have been guilty of great crimes and misdemeanours, crimes that would have sunk an unregenerated person to perdition. But as I knew it to be only a temporary falling off, a specimen of that liberty by which the chosen and elected ones are made free. I closed my eyes on the willful debasement of your principles, knowing that the transgressions could never be accounted to your charge, and that in good time you would come to your senses and throw the whole weight of your crimes on the shoulders that had voluntarily stooped to receive the load. "'Certainly I will,' said I, as I and all the justified have a good right to do. But what crimes, what misdemeanors and transgressions do you talk about? For my part, I am conscious of none, and am utterly amazed at insinuations which I do not comprehend. You have certainly been left to yourself for a season, returned he. Having gone on rather like a person in a delirium than a Christian in his sober sense. You are accused of having made away with your mother privately, as also of the death of a beautiful young lady, whose affections you had seduced. It is an intolerable and monstrous falsehood, cried I, interrupting him. I never laid a hand on a woman to take away her life and have even shunned their society from my childhood i know nothing of my mother's exit nor of that young lady's whom you mention nothing whatever i hope it is so said he but it seems there are some strong presumptuous proofs against you and i came to warn you this day that a precognition is in progress and that unless you are perfectly convinced, not only of your innocence, but of your ability to prove it, it will be the safest course for you to abscond and let the trial go on without you. Never shall it be said that I shrunk from such a trial as this, said I. It would give grounds for suspicions of guilt that never had existence, even in thought. I will go and show myself in every public place, that no slanderous tongue may wag against me. I have shed the blood of sinners, but of these deaths I am guiltless. Therefore, I will face every tribunal and put all my accusers down. Asservations will avail you but little, answered he composedly. It is, however, justifiable in its place, although to me it signifies nothing, who know too well that you did commit both crimes, in your own person and with your own hands. Far be it from me to betray you. Indeed, I would rather endeavor to palliate the offenses, for though adverse to nature I can prove them not to be so to the cause of pure Christianity, by the mode of which we have approved it, and which we wish to promulgate. If this that you tell me be true, said I, then is it as true that I have two souls, which take possession of my bodily frame by turns, the one being all unconscious of what the other performs? For as sure as I have at this moment a spirit within me, fashioned and destined to eternal felicity, as sure am I utterly ignorant of the crimes you now lay to my charge. Your supposition may be true in effect, said he. We are all subjected to two distinct natures in the same person. I myself have suffered grievously in that way. The spirit that now directs my energies is not that with which I was endowed at my creation. It is changed within me, and so is my whole nature. My former days were those of grandeur and felicity, but would you believe it? I was not then a Christian. Now I am. I have been converted to its truths by passing through the fire, and since my final conversion, my misery has been extreme. You complain that I have not been able to render you more happy than you were. Alas! Do you expect it in the difficult and exterminating career which you have begun? I, however, promise you this. A portion of the only happiness which I enjoy, sublime in its motions and splendid in its attainments, I will place you on the right hand of my throne and show you the grandeur of my domains and the felicity of my millions of true professors. End of section twenty one.